You are listening to the PYD Lab, the podcast for implementers and young leaders who want to examine innovative approaches to positive youth development and hear stories of young people leading change in their communities. This podcast is made possible by the support of the American people through the United States Agency for International Development, or USAID. The content and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of USAID or the United States government. Hey, it's Natasha, and you're in the PYD Lab. Now, today we're talking to lawyer and advocate Nandini Tanya Lauman about LGBTQIA rights. We'll talk policy, employment, and youth developing positive identities. Come inside and have a listen. Tanya, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. We're excited to have you come in and join us in the lab. Here, it's Pride Month. Shout out to our friends and family in the LGBTQ plus community. This is a special time to celebrate and commemorate their pride and stories and journeys. You were the perfect person for us to talk to because you're a lawyer, you're a humanitarian, and you've been doing advocacy work for years. You're also a member of the Youth Lead family. You were a part of our youth advisory group. You've done workshops and events on positive youth development. Tell us what you've been up to as far as your work. So, yes, like you said, I was part of the youth advisory group at the Youth Lead, which was actually a huge privilege because I was part of the first cohort, which meant that my team and I had the privilege to craft the pathway for the youth advisory group. And it was an amazing learning experience. And it really helped me push forward my advocacy that had been ongoing for the past decade around human rights and more specifically LGBTQIA plus rights. And um, growing from an international advocacy, I have now narrowed down my focus to a continental level. And my focus is now on the African region, specifically African small island developing states. I am constantly right now carrying our research around the gaps between policy and practice with regards to LGBTQIA plus rights in the African island, small island developing state, because a lot of those laws are remnants of colonization. And although um, in many countries that have colonized Africa in the past, these laws have been reformed. Unfortunately, the countries that have been colonized are still carrying on these discriminatory laws as part of their legacy. So my advocacy aims around explaining the dangers around these types of laws and lobbying heads of governments to commit to reform those laws. Oh, wow. I definitely want to talk to you about some of this work on the localized level, because obviously, you know, there's been some small strides, but you know, who you are and depending on where you live and if you fall into other marginalized demographics, those strides can be minuscule, if not even, you know, they might feel non-existent. Talk to us a little bit about some of those gaps. What are some of the current successes and challenges facing members of the LGBTQ plus community where you live? So for context, I am based in Mauritius. This is where I was born and raised and I'm still practicing. And um, as part of my advocacy campaigns, whenever I have approached lawmakers, policymakers, heads of government across the Commonwealth and in Mauritius to ask them to do more work around the discrimination that LGBTQIA plus people are facing, the response is always, but we've already promulgated those laws. What else do you want from us? 
And herein lies the problem, because just promulgating the laws is not enough. There is so much more that needs to be done around educating people about those laws, about enforcing the requirements of those laws, the punishments that are involved when these laws are trespassed. And a lot of times these are not adequately implemented. And this goes hand in hand with the societal norms that prevail around LGBTQIA plus rights. It is not enough for it to be enshrined in the law that we shouldn't discriminate against LGBTQIA plus people. There's a need to sensitize society around the microaggressions that LGBTQIA plus people face on a daily basis, despite these laws being prevalent. And these microaggressions take place in the workplace, in schools, in public places. And this is where my advocacy comes in, to educate people around the need for more tolerance around LGBTQIA plus rights and why it's important to be indifferent to the difference around LGBTQIA plus people. And I want to talk about stigmas, and I definitely want to get back and circle back to the policy discussion. Um, but before we do, I want to stay on this topic here about discrimination and safety, because it takes a mental toll, right, in obvious ways, but also subconsciously. And in the PYD framework, it encourages uh, having an enabling environment for youth. Are we improving as a society in terms of getting away from mental health stigmas and openly supporting physical and psychological safety? I would say yes and no, depending on the context. For instance, a few years ago, we didn't have mental health support tailored to the needs of LGBTQIA plus people, especially LGBTQIA plus adolescents who are in this state of development and confusion and seeking information and requiring more support in so many cases than um, adult LGBTQIA plus people. So um, we have made progress in that sense where um, this is a recognized need in many societies and there are many mental health professionals who openly welcome LGBTQIA plus patients for counseling. That being said, there's still a lot of stigmatization when it comes to just being part of the LGBTQIA community. In a lot of situations, it's considered as a mental illness and um, it mm. is treated by, by methods that are very much traditional and harmful. I'm referring here to uh, practices such as conversion therapy, for instance. So, um, we have made progress in certain situations, but in others, there's still a long way to go. And unfortunately, we are constantly seeing that in so many countries where we have made progress, now there's this fear of us going back to square one. Um, I'm referring here, for instance, to the situation in many countries such as Uganda or Kenya, where we were actually going in the direction where we could have started to push forward for LGBTQI plus rights to be respected. But recently with the Anti-Homosexuality Act being promulgated in Uganda, we have gone backwards so many steps. And now we're actually scared that other countries in the region might actually follow suit. Thus, canceling out all of the progress that we've made over decades. 
while we have made progress in certain contexts, we are still lagging behind and in fact actually going back to the drawing board in so many other situations. It's interesting. It's scary. How do you navigate fighting for policy change while at the same time policies are being instituted that take you back 10, 15 years, like you said? It's a very delicate balance to strike. And whenever I have approached municipal councillors, heads of villages, and other policymakers to ask them to support my campaign towards reforming LGBTQIA plus laws in the country. A lot of times these people have um, responded to me saying that we believe in the cause that you're fighting for, you have our support, we will provide you with any resources that you need, but we cannot do so publicly which means that we do not want our names to be on any of your flyers or on any of your events. We will not make any public appearances for the cause because this is a question of our image. We encourage you to pursue what you are doing and we actively appreciate what you are doing out in the open. So this is kind of an advantage as well as a disadvantage in the sense that yes, Thank you for your support, Mr. Councillor, but it would have been great if you could support me openly because that would mean that community leaders actually endorsing my campaign and it would bring so much more credibility to my cause. This is where the problem lies. There's still a long way for us to go when it comes to advocacy for LGBTQIA plus rights and erasing the stigma that's attached to it. Sometimes, you just have to make the decision to back down for a little while and allow things to calm down a little bit. I am fortunate enough to be based in Mauritius where the situation for LGBTQIA people is relatively safe in the sense that they are not actively persecuted, attacked or killed. That being said, this is not the same situation for my colleagues based on mainland Africa. And in a lot of times we've had to organize evacuations for many of them, make sure that they are relocated to safe hubs where they cannot be tracked and um, organize for them to be able to continue their activism in secrecy. So it is a very delicate balance to strike when it comes to actually actively pursuing our work but also prioritizing the safety and security of the people we work with and for. Oh, wow. I, I was going to ask you, okay, how do, we, how do we use policy to back all of this up? But then you also see policies coming back around that restrict and discriminate and are harmful to people. It's a scary line to walk. But I definitely feel that the digital space has a huge role to play in supporting LGBTQIA plus rights. Sure. Health or policy advocacy, or just providing a sense of community to isolated LGBTQIA plus people. I feel like this actually grew in importance during the COVID-19 pandemic, because a lot of the LGBTQIA plus people I was working with found themselves isolated all of a sudden and so many shelters that they were looking for support with 
during before COVID actually closed down. So they were actually isolated in families or communities where they didn't have support. And the digital space presented that cocoon of solace for them. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, I also drafted a series of guidelines to help LGBTQIA plus people around how to maintain the safety and privacy in the digital space in those trying times. That being said, the digital space was also a very dangerous place for LGBTQIA plus people. And those dangers actually spiked during the pandemic and so many of them are still prevalent now. I'm referring here to um, instances where people were actually tracked because of their location or because of the people they were in contact with. And that meant that government had access to people's locations, the persons they had been in touch with. And this was used in a lot of situations to track and monitor the activities of LGBTQI plus people and actually arrest them when they are at parties that are held for LGBTQI plus people or at gatherings, at public parades. So the digital space actually opened up more possibilities for LGBTQIA plus people to feel safe, but also put them in more danger in other instances. So really it's a double-edged sword, I'd say. You know, a lot of times what we're ultimately talking about here is just the right for people to be treated like human beings, right? And allowed to live their lives and people deserve access to decent work and to be treated fairly. And so are we in a better position these days to hold companies and schools and institutions accountable? I feel like we stand on the shoulders of the giants who came before us. So definitely right now we can at least speak about LGBTQIA plus rights openly, which was not the case a few decades ago. So I definitely feel that progress has been made. That being said, we still have a long way to go when it comes to proper human rights being respected for LGBTQIA plus people. A lot of times people do not want to associate with LGBTQIA plus people because even though they themselves do not specifically discriminate against LGBTQIA plus people, they are afraid of the stigma that comes with being associated with a person from the LGBTQI plus community. I want to make sure that in the midst of our conversation that we speak directly to youth too, you know, positive youth development, that it says youth having positive identity is crucial to them being healthy and productive and engaged. But I would imagine that's hard to do when you feel other or excluded and misunderstood. My question is two-part. I want to know what we can do to support LGBTQ plus youth, but also for youth who are currently dealing with this, who may be feeling alone or scared or rejected, particularly those who may have real safety concerns. Do you have any advice for them? Part of our advocacy also involves integration of comprehensive sexual education in school syllabuses. Because we definitely believe that an, a complete education around LGBTQIA plus rights would mean a holistic approach towards the human rights experience. And mm. the younger children are educated about it, the easier it is for them 
to create a society that is not discriminatory towards LGBTQI plus people. Starting from the school playground, whereby when they see friends or classmates who are, so to speak, different from others, they actually have an acceptance of those differences instead of bullying or stigmatizing those other students. That being said, um, it is also very important for us to counter the narrative that comprehensive sex education is not enshrined in policy or in international law, because um, this is a point of advocacy that is used by anti-rights organizations. And we have seen the harms that these have caused on the physical and mental health of LGBTQIA plus people, especially young people and adolescents. And my advice to young LGBTQIA plus people would be to not isolate themselves, seek support, speak to allies, speak to LGBTQIA plus adults, find a center that is welcoming to LGBTQIA plus people in the situation where they cannot physically contact somebody, get to the digital space where they can actually find some comfort and build a sense of security around who they are until the situation gets a little bit more under control for them and they can actually be out in public and be who they are really in a safe environment. Thank you so much for that. I just think that that's important for us to be able to talk to them directly and and to give them some advice. So I appreciate that. Let's talk about PYD recommendations. This is the fun part of the show that I enjoy just because I like to see what people are reading and learning and are excited about and what's new and around the corner. So PYD in this sense stands for Published Youth or Disrupt. P, a published reading source you recommend on a youth development related topic. It can be a book, an article, a report, and why. So my recommendation is titled Meaningful Inclusion of Youth a promising future. This is a report that was prepared by the Youth Sounding Board for the EU International Partnerships, um, a body of which I am a member of and I have been working with for the past two years now. And we have based our consultations in the context of the Youth Action Plan in external action. So to draft this report, my team and I Based from around the world, we consulted with youth-led organizations, youth-focused organizations, and subject matter experts from over 50 countries. And we combined all of those focus group discussions and online survey responses to come up with a list of issues that are most relevant to youth, one of them being discrimination faced by LGBTQIA plus youth. And issues related to diversity and inclusion in spaces that are actually dedicated to youth development. So our aim was to provide a comprehensive narrative of the shared struggles that young people have, but my section was actually focused on the difficulties faced by LGBTQIA youth in being an integral part of those groups whereby the discussion is focused around meaningful youth engagement, 
but active steps are rarely taken when it comes to involving young LGBTQIA plus people. And um, there's little effort that's made to remove the barriers that hinder their effective participation in such mechanisms. I really encourage you to read the report and I hope that it brings light to a number of issues that LGBTQIA people, especially young people are facing. Awesome, that is so great. Tell us about your youth recommendation, a resource or project you know of that's authored or led by a young leader that you want others to know about. I would recommend a toolkit that I have developed myself. It is titled Youth Advocacy Learning and Reflection Toolkit, and it aims at guiding youth-led advocacy campaigns. Through this toolkit, I have endeavored to provide an overview of youth advocacy in the Commonwealth context. Um, it is based on a campaign that I was running with the Commonwealth Youth Gender and Equality Network, a campaign that is called Hashtag Reform 53, which was actually aimed at lobbying heads of governments of the Commonwealth to commit to reform laws that discriminate against LGBTQIA plus people. So I used this campaign as an example to illustrate strategies that I have put in place before the pandemic and during the pandemic, which was a time of trial and error for me really, because at the time, digital campaigning wasn't really a thing. And um, I compile all of these experiences and provide tips for youth-led advocacy campaigns for young people and adult allies, as well as organizational partners, if ever they want to run similar campaigns. That is great. I love that. So hashtag reform 53, if people want to join the conversation online. Awesome. And last but not least, D for disrupt, uh, a disruptive, innovative idea or project or resource that does or will tackle a youth related challenge. What do you have? This is another report that I have co-authored with Digital Grassroots. It is called LGBT rights in the digital space. And it is a toolkit for LGBT youth to deal with the health and technological crisis that we recently faced. So it was developed during the COVID-19 pandemic as a guide to help young people maintain their rights to privacy and security um, how to use certain software and certain platforms more diligently to make sure that their information is not leaked, especially in places where they might be under surveillance, but also to access information and public services that could be crucial towards their health and also their safety. So um, it really breaks down the technical jargon that is around the digital space and cybersecurity into very basic language so that it's accessible to a wide audience. And it provides practical tips around using not just websites, but also mobile apps so that young people, especially LGBTQIA people, can be careful around the information that they are publishing online so that it doesn't compromise any of their rights as well as their safety and security. Oh, that's a wonderful recommendation. I love it. 
Thank you. Um, this is also a moment for me to shout out to my amazing team at the Youth Sounding Board, to the support that I received from the Commonwealth Youth Gender and Equality Network and the Royal Commonwealth Society for publishing my toolkit and for Digital Grassroots for always supporting me. So really for me, it's a matter of huge pride, but also a matter of huge comfort to know that I have these solid networks around me that are committed to the cause that I so passionately advocate for. I think it's wonderful. And I always encourage people who are doing advocacy work to get super involved at the grassroots level because it adds to your credibility. It validates the work that you're doing to be able to say, not only am I passionate and I care about this work, but I'm actually out here on the ground talking to people. I'm writing it down. I'm capturing other people's experiences and I'm sharing it back with the world. So just super important and kudos to you for being so involved at the grassroots level. Thank you very much. It's actually very comforting to know that um, grassroots work is actually getting recognized now. I have been involved with grassroots work and uh, it has been an uphill battle when I first started because the framework around grassroots activism for teenagers was at a budding stage. So we didn't really have the frameworks to support us social media wasn't so prevalent as it is now so we didn't know about the opportunities that were available and we couldn't connect with other young people in our country or around the world who were doing the same type of work that we were doing so um, now when i work with young people who are doing grassroots work i can totally relate to the challenges that they face because i've been on the other side of the table and my endeavor now is to always make sure that they have the resources that they need and the opportunities that could really take their work to the next level. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, platforms like Youth Lead are so important because it brings together like-minded peers and youth like yourself from around the world who could kind of go and find their people there, you know, on the platform and not feel so isolated. So great work. I totally agree with you. I think Youthlead has been a huge catalyst in taking my advocacy and activism from the grassroots level to the really professional level. When I started as member of the youth advocacy group, I was really a budding activist and um, Youthlead really helped me in the framework around how to tailor my work and also help me connect with the right people in the right positions to get my work forward. I am actually now about to become one of the Youth Lead Scholars at the One Young World Conference that is going to happen later this year. And it's a huge privilege really to be able to represent the organization that I started with as just an advocacy and communications lead for the Youth Lead Youth Advisory Group to actually being a Youth Lead Scholar and being able to train other young people around what I was actually trained for. So this just bears testimony to the fact that Youth Lead really actively engages in positive youth development and not just on paper, but there's concrete action that's being taken and it also provides tangible results. Oh, that's exciting. 
but I know that you're going to be a great inspiration and motivation to other young people. So that is exciting to hear. And we'll definitely look out for that. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us on the PYD Lab today. Thank you for having me, Natasha. It was a huge pleasure to speak with you. And I really am excited to keep my engagement with you, please. Thank you, Tanya, for joining us in the PYD Lab. And now we're going to get into our PYD recommendations. The first one up is this supporting LGBTQI plus rights starter kit. It contains 15 of the most informative resources on the Youth Lead website related to activism against discrimination directed toward lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and intersex individuals, as well as individuals with other diverse gender and sexual identities. Our second recommendation is the Youth Influencing Local Policy Starter Kit. Now, this kit is designed to help young people make an impact on their local governments. For many people around the world, local governments have the greatest effect on what life is like day to day. Local governments often have a great deal of power over things like roads, education, and land management, as well as policies affecting LGBTQ plus people. So accordingly, young change makers looking to improve their community can start by influencing policy at the local level. This starter kit will help you do that and provide tips and strategies to get started. Our last recommendation is a resource titled Being an Ally to LGBT People. Allies are important. They can be effective and powerful voices for equality. This resource defines what ally means and provides helpful tips on how to become one. You can access these resources and a host of others over at youthpower.org backslash Until next time, I'm Natasha. And you've been in the PYD lab.